You're watching The Sports Objective, the podcast for pirates. You're listening to Absolute Empowerment with Coach Jeff Connors on The Sports Objective. Join Coach C, a USA Strength and Conditioning Hall of Famer, every Monday night to see in a variety of guests, including former players, former and current coaches, pastors, and others will discuss relevant issues in coaching today's athlete with the goal of equipping the athlete and those coaching them with the physical, mental, and spiritual armor necessary to live their best life. Here's Coach Connors. Uh, welcome to Absolute Empowerment. Uh, tonight we have the famous pirate Kevin Monroe on the show with us. And uh, very happy to have him. Very privileged to have him on the show. Uh, definitely one of my favorites that I've ever coached, Kev. And also, uh, as a freshman, had the maturity of a 25-year-old coming into a program. So I always enjoyed your maturity. So uh, great to have you on the show, brother. Listen, Coach C. I, you know, every day when I'm when I'm working out, I think about you and, and the things that we went through. You know, while I was there from '95 to '99, and honestly, all the things I did as an incoming freshman was just out of fear. I wanted—I didn't want to disappoint anybody. I wanted to make sure I got in good shape, and so I was scared to death every day. Well, we might as well get it out of the way right now. We know that uh, the reason that the seniors kicked eight three hundreds up to ten for the skill guys was Kevin Monroe came in there the summer before his freshman season and made eight 300s with 30 seconds rest the first day he stepped on campus. Uh, and so the seniors lost their minds and said, we can't have this, and we got to kick it up because we cannot have a freshman making the conditioning test first time he steps on. But I, I'm not really sure what month that was, Kev, because we had to prepare for a while for that. But uh, uh, I, I probably have exaggerated that a little bit. But you indeed made those 300s, and uh, it kind of shocked everybody. I, so, I did. You know, we, we, uh, you know, I had just gotten out of high school. Honestly, I wasn't enrolled in school yet. I don't even know if that was legal for me to be over there, but since I was in Greenville, <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm going to go over there. And so me and Troy Smith would come over and we'd work out, uh, yeah. with the, with the players. And, and I, I just, I'm not gonna say that I loved it, but I, I wanted to play. I wanted to play. And so I was gonna yeah. do whatever it took. And, uh, I, I remember I had to leave the Tuesday before we were going to run the 10 300s with 30 seconds rest. I had to leave for the East West all-star game. And so I said, Coach, I'm not going to be able to come out there Tuesday afternoon and, and then run with the guys. And you said, well, if you want to do it, come in the morning. And yeah. so you, you met me out there at 6.30 a.m. in the morning. And yeah. uh, and I was the first person to ever make the uh, the 10, 330 seconds of rest. Now, obviously, I didn't have the heat that the rest of the guys had later that afternoon. But I, I was by myself. Nobody cheering me on, just me and you and that whistle. And uh, and I was able to make it. So that was that was a huge accomplishment for me way back then. Well, you set a new standard. You know, that's kind of what it was all about back then. Uh, you know, guys were very competitive, and uh, you, you made it even more competitive when you joined the team. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, when I first found out about you. You know, I had been going to the local bank there on Red Banks, and uh, your mom was working in there. She was a very friendly person, and uh, – uh, really took care of me every time I came in there and, and we got to talking. She'd keep telling me, uh, well, I know you're coaching over there and, you know, I got a son. Uh, he's pretty good. And uh, I'd keep asking her about you. And, you know, I really didn't, you know, everybody wants to talk about their kids. So I really had no clue uh, that you were going to be as good as you were. I mean, she was 
definitely right. You, you're a Division One prospect and highly recruited. And you know what? What made you pick East Carolina? Well, I tell you what. You know, I, I I had a visit by Coach Logan and Coach Pagano. They came and sat in my living room, and uh, you know they offered me you know on the spot early on before anyone else did. And, you know, my dad just kind of said, listen, yeah, I don't care how many other offers you get. Just remember the loyalty that East Carolina showed you and how early they offered you, uh, you know, before your senior year even started and, and all this stuff. And so I felt good about that. Um, you know, I, I had opportunities to go other places. NC State was high on my list. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I just always remembered, you know, the, 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 the loyalty that Coach Logan showed me and the fact that both he and Coach Pagano came. Uh, and sat in my living room, and they didn't have to do that. We could have done it over the phone uh, to give me that offer. Now, Coach Pagano did leave before I got on campus. He, he left yeah. and went to Miami, but uh, yeah. I was able to, to play under Coach Fleming and all that good stuff. But, yeah, it was just, you know, I grew up in Greenville for the most part. Uh, always loved the Pirates. You know, got to see the Peach Bowl game on television. My father went to East Carolina. So it was, it was an easy choice. I, I, I was pretty much always going to go there. I just wanted to kind of see what everybody else was talking about. Well, I had Coach Pagano on uh, another podcast. If you haven't heard it, it's definitely worth listening to. I mean, it, it was just awesome, as he always has been. And, you know, I, I coached with him at Carolina for a year before he went back into the NFL as well. But uh, he's getting ready to build a big uh, mansion up there in Boise, Idaho, I think. And he's trying to collect helmets. So he's he was actually looking for an ECU helmet. Oh, wow. And uh, I got uh, our friend John McMillan, who supported the Pirates for many, many years, to uh, to help Pags out. So, uh, so that was pretty cool. But uh, you know, just a great coach. Uh, you know, and the thing about it is, Coach Logan wasn't gonna play around with you if you said you were undecided or, you know. Uh, but if you wanted to be a Pirate, man, he was gonna be uh, as loyal to you as you would be to him. No question about that. And he was always. Very happy to see that people were going to sign. Uh, but uh, he also wouldn't play around if you were kind of vacillating between schools. You know, he wanted you to make a decision. That's right. He, uh, he, I also I also uh, wanted to play baseball. And so he was one right. of the, he was one of the few coaches that said I could come on campus and play both sports. And so yeah. that was a, that was an easy sell. Yeah, I think Steve always had a great appreciation for baseball as well. And of course, both of his uh, sons played collegiate ball. So. Uh, definitely, uh, I understand his perspective there where, where you're concerned. Um, so growing up in Greenville, uh, you know, of course, a big part of this podcast is the faith component. And, you know, I don't make any bones about that. Um, you know, it's a Christian podcast. You know, I'd like to know a little bit more about your faith, uh, the influence of your family, possibly the influence of your church or what your situation was there in Greenville and uh, you know, who were those people who possibly mentored and influenced you growing up? Yeah. So my father was, uh, was in the air force when, you know, when I was born uh, growing up. And, and so we moved around quite a few places as a, as a young child. And when I was in the 10th grade, we, he retired and we moved to Greenville. And so uh, I started at Rose High School as a 10th grader. And, you know, growing up, we, you know, I come from a Christian family. We always went to church. Um, but, you know, there was there was no pressure to get baptized or anything. And so, you know, I went, I listened, you know, I thought I was a good person, but uh, had never really taken that next step uh, in terms of getting baptized, getting saved. And it wasn't honestly until my senior year of high school, I met a girl. Every good story starts with a girl, right? 
And oh, so yeah. I, I met a girl, uh, my current wife, uh, and she was just an awesome person, smart, ambitious, uh, but she was a, a woman of Christ. And so, you know, I started, I was going to Sycamore Hill Baptist Church there in Greenville, uh, but to be near her, I started going to her church every Sunday, uh, Greenville Church of Christ. And so, you know, I, I was just getting more and more involved. I started to do a separate Bible study, um, you know, with the with the man there. And so I, I was getting closer and closer to God. But I tell you what, what actually happened is I, I, I kept saying to myself, you know, God, I'm not ready. I'm not I'm not living the life the way I should be. I'm not doing all the things the way I should be. I'm not sin free. And I, you know, I want to, I want to wait until I, you know, I can do this on my own before I invite you into my heart, which obviously right. is, is the wrong way to go about it. Cause we, none of us can do it on our own. And I kept waiting and waiting and waiting and got into college. And, uh, this one afternoon I get a call from, from my girlfriend at the time. And she says, you know, don't freak out, but I was in a car accident. Can you come down here and get me? And so, um, you know, she was, she was seemed fine. She was talking to me, no, no big deal. So I, I assumed it, it wasn't a big deal. I get down there, coach Connors, it was, it was on the corner. It was right kind of on the corner of uh red banks uh, and maybe 10th street or somewhere in that area, not far from uh, Parker's barbecue uh, down that way. And she was turning left onto red banks, I believe. And there was an 18 wheeler that ran a red light. Mm -hmm. So her light was green. She went to turn and luckily they, the, the, he was so far behind the light that she had already crossed over and was making a left turn. And he, he hit her right on her back passenger side door and spun her around through the intersection. I mean, a, a, a millisecond sooner, it would have hit her right on her driver's side door and she probably wouldn't be here today. And I got there and I just saw the car, saw her, and I just, I mean, I was basically in tears and it was right. like maybe a couple of days later, I, I said, you know, nothing's promised. Tomorrow's not promised. I'm going to get baptized. And I did. And, you know, I turned my life over to God and and, it, and it's been, you know, it's, it's been a uh, just an amazing experience ever since. Um, obviously we have our, our good days, our good months, our good years and our bad ones, um, you know, being Christ followers, but I never regret the decision. Uh, I'm so glad that I met her. I'm so glad that she pushed me, pushed me forward to uh, to do that and, and inspired me. And all the folks at Greenville Church of Christ and at Sycamore Hill Baptist Church that were that were there, you know, alongside of my journey. Uh, but that's pretty much what what made me do it and what what carried me to that decision. Well, I'm so happy that God led me to uh, East Carolina University in 1991. Uh, you know, I. I had been up in Pennsylvania at Bucknell University. I'd been in Florida before that coaching high school. And uh, and I really didn't know much about East Carolina at all. I had coached a postgraduate program in uh, Tennessee, and we played the actually the, the JV teams or freshman teams, whatever they were called back then. And uh, we played Western Carolina. I, it was in Tennessee at TMI Academy. And uh, – because Western Carolina was purple and gold. I thought when East Carolina first contacted me that it was actually Western Carolina. And I hate to say <laughs> that but, you know, because so many people call East Carolina, Eastern Carolina. Right, right, right. And, and I wasn't even sure what school I was at when I flew for the interview, but uh, <laughs> I, I soon found out that I was not at Western Carolina. So, uh, 
that was, That's awesome. that was an interesting experience for me. Uh, but I was so happy that God led me to, of course, Bill Lewis first, but to, to stay with Steve. And Steve would always tell the team, of course, you know, if you're neglecting your spiritual life, you're making a mistake. And mm. and we, we all knew what Steve was about. I, I told Steve, you know, he's his compass always pointed true north, you know, his mm. moral compass. Uh, he was just uh, that was him. I mean, he really always tried to do things right. And, uh, you know, nobody's perfect, but at the same time, I, you know, he was up there meditating at office every morning. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I just really had great respect for Steve through my whole career there and his influence on the team and every athlete that came through there from a spiritual standpoint, I thought was very impactful and, of course, would contribute to him eventually being the winningest coach in the history of VCU as well. So we're all very lucky to be there with Steve as our leader. And, uh, you know, I can't say enough about that. Um, do you remember through high school uh, who your mentors were? Uh, any other athletes that were influences on you or uh, any anybody you can think of there? Yeah, so my, my big brother uh, was a big you know, athlete himself, uh, you know, he's three and a half years older than me. And so all the way through coming up, I always wanted to be like him. Um, you know, he kind of had an early growth spurt. Uh, looking back on it, it's kind of funny because he's about five, eight and a half now. Uh, but I always thought he was a giant back then. And he, you know, he played football, basketball, <laughs> and baseball. Uh, he was, he was a really good athlete as good an athlete as me. He just never got, never got much bigger. Right. Um, and so, you know, he didn't really play much through, through high school and obviously not in college, but, I always looked up to him. Uh, you know, my father uh, grew up playing ball. He grew up in, in Fayetteville, and, and he would tell me stories about, you know, his, his time at E. Smith and also Terry Sanford High Schools, and he played running back and, and defensive back. And so, you know, he taught me everything I knew about football, about baseball. Uh, you know, I tried – I was just a, an athlete playing basketball. I wasn't much of a basketball player. It's kind of an athlete playing basketball, but I love to play it, it as well. Uh, so, yeah, just growing up, you know, my brother and my, and my father were, you know, my, my big-time mentors, my, my coaches that kind of – brought me through and I started growing. Uh, and, you know, my, my dad is about five, eight and a half. My brother's about five, eight and a half. My mom is five, 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 four. And so nobody knows how I ended up being six foot. It, it just kind of shot past everybody. And it was just a, a blessing from God to be able to have that size, to be able to be a division one athlete. Um, I can remember when I started getting recruited by coach Logan, East Carolina, you know, he, he always had the players kind of, you know, pour into the, into the recruits, especially if they were local. And so, you know, guys like Mofo and Mark C and EJ uh, and Allen and, and all these guys would come to our high school basketball games. They come to our high school football games. And so I got to be pretty close with those guys, you know, as a junior in high school. And so, you know, I looked up to them. I came to all the games. Um, it was just it was exciting to be a part of that, you know, that college experience because you know, I was being recruited because I got to, to meet all those guys. Larry Shannon was another one. And so. Yeah, it was it, that, those guys. I looked up to all of them, and uh, and 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 just kind of latched onto the East Carolina spirit, you know, before I decided to come here. Sure. So your first year was uh, was that ninety five? We played ninety five. Yeah, that was the the Stanford, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Liberty Bowl. Right. Now that was the uh, the years that you were there. Certainly was a great run, and not just a great run, but uh, the quality of people on the football team is something you know that. I will never forget overall. Uh, I mean, we had some, we had some really good people. Hmm. 
and uh, you know some hard workers. So uh, you know that's that was always a special time for me during that time period as well. Um, so you know, looking at ECU through that period, how would you uh, describe the culture? Wow. Um, I mean, it, it, it started with you, coach. You know, honestly, you know, we there was a head coach, obviously, but everybody knew we you weren't getting on the field unless you were doing what you're supposed to be doing in the weight room and in conditioning. And so I learned that as, you know, as a high school senior coming over there, working out with you. Uh, coach Logan made it abundantly clear uh, that if you weren't doing your lifts, you weren't getting your, your conditioning in, you weren't stepping foot on the field. And so coming in as a freshman, I wanted to play as a true freshman. Uh, and so I was working my butt off and I, I thought the culture was great. I thought the older guys were very encouraging. There wasn't a whole lot of envy, a whole lot of jealousy amongst players. You know, the, the best guys played and everybody knew it. And so you fought to become the best. And, and that's just what, what we, the way we kind of were. And, you know, uh, I never even considered uh, joining a fraternity when I came on campus because they had this thing called foot five ball going around and oh, the yeah. football team, the football team was a fraternity and we had T-shirts. You know, we had our little sayings and everything, and it was just – it was a community. We all went out together. We hung out together on the weekends after football. We were at each other's houses. We were playing PlayStation together. Like, we were just – it was a community of fellas, and, and we just enjoyed each other's company. I don't remember, you know, guys – you know, if, if somebody got into it every now and then, you know, the, the next day they were buddies again. It just – it was just – it felt good. The coaches were a part of it. Um, you know, I don't remember a bad seat on the coaching staff. Uh, and so, yeah, it was just it, the culture was great. And, and it started with you and you know, everybody bought into the, the discipline that you brought the team. And I think that that sent us forward. We only had one losing season in the five years I was here and, and that was five and six. So it was still a, a quality year. And so, yeah, it, it was definitely we had the we had the ball rolling forward back then. Well, you know, Steve was very insightful and uh, I, I'll never you know, I can't even express how much I appreciate the fact that, you know, he, he just gave me the freedom uh, to run my own deal. And, and he supported everything that I did. And, uh, you know, when you look at the profession now and you look at the relationships between the, the strength coach and the head football coach, and of course, you know, my good friend, Mickey Marotti at Ohio state, I went, I actually went up to their clinic this, uh, this year just for something to do, you know, and, uh, you know, Mickey's making 900 grand a year as the head strength coach. So, uh, <laughs> the, the profession has come a long way and it's so, you know, so good to see the head coaches now really appreciating what, you know, what strength coaches do and, um, and, you know, and having a good relationship that runs both ways. Of course, strength coaches have to have the ultimate respect uh, for the, for the head football coach as well. And, you know, and carry out the mission as that, that leader sees fit as well. So, uh, but, you know, I think Steve was even a little bit ahead of his time, you know, and giving me a little bit, uh, giving me a little bit of freedom where I could, I could kind of, uh, uh, I guess you could say capture the respect of the team, you know, myself, but, you know, I, I wasn't afraid to fight the battles either. You know, I didn't really want anybody to fight my battles for me, you know, so, uh, but, uh, but yeah, that was, that was a great thing about that culture, you know, and everybody talks about the culture of a team and, um, you know, and I said this the other night when we were all on locker room for life that, you know, the team that I played for in college and then all the, the different people that I coached with the seven coaches that I coached with and 
whenever uh, a regime changed, of course, the culture was a little bit different. But, mm. you know, I've got to say that, that back in the 90s, that culture was very special. And I think if uh, East Carolina would continue to recapture that culture and that tradition, uh, you know, I mean, we uh, like I said the other night, I got that number nine ring, man. And, uh, you know, I, I I'm going to ask you this. Uh, what do you think it's going to take for ECU football uh, to get back into the top 20? Uh, I mean, looking at this year, for instance, you got Michigan on the schedule. Uh, you know, App State knocked them off first game of the season uh, not that long ago. Uh, it can happen. Uh, but, you know, it seems to be that, you know, ECU is going to really have to blow a lot of people out to, to get into that top 20 looking at the schedule. I mean, how do you feel about the schedule this year? Well, you know, I'll say this. My senior year, uh, the first four games, and I won't necessarily remember the order, but the first four games were West Virginia, South Carolina, Miami, and Duke. And I remember we had a we had a senior committee, juniors and seniors a committee, uh, you know, kind of player captain committee that Coach Logan put together. And he would kind of come to us, and then we would take stuff on the team. So if he wanted something done, you know, if he needed us to do something in the classroom or on the field or in the locker room, he'd, he'd come to us, and we'd kind of relay that message to the players. And I remember he came to us, you know, the kind of the first few days of, uh, of, of summer ball or fall ball that year. And he said, listen, we got these four non-conference games. And he's like, I, I feel great about what we can do in conference, but these four non-conference games are going to be tough. He said, if we can win two out of the four, then I think we can go on a nice run and have a lot of wins this year. He yeah. said, you guys can kind of get that, get that, you know, that conversation going with the, with the team, get people believing in that. Uh, we're going to have a, a special year. And we kind of looked at him, you know, myself, Jeff Carr, Forrest Foster, Sherwin Lacewell, Pernell Griffin. And we was like, Coach, we don't want to win two. We want to win all four. And, you know, at, at the time, you know, Miami was ranked in the top 15 in the country. You know, South Carolina had just gotten Lou Holtz as their head coach. Duke was looking good. They had a new regime there. Uh, and so, you know, we, we West Virginia was, was good. They had Mark Bolger, the quarterback, and uh, some good players. And I think the thing that sparked it, because you know, that 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 West Virginia game was the first game of the year. Yeah. They came they came out and made that comment about East Carolina being lightweights. Right. And you and you went out and got those t-shirts made. And, <laughs> and, and you and you you lit into us like they don't respect <laughs> you guys. They don't know who you are. They don't know what you've been through. They don't know what you can do. They don't know about 10 300s. I mean just all this stuff. And it just the light bulb just came on. And we just rolled through all four of those teams. Obviously, everybody knows about the, the Hurricane Floyd and the big comeback against Miami and, and NC State. And, yeah. you know, we, we we beat West Virginia that first game, beat Duke at home, beat South Carolina in South Carolina after the hurricane. Uh, then, we went, then we beat Army as well. So we were 5-0. and We were ranked top 15 in the country. So I, I say that to say back then the schedules were crazy. You know, every year we yeah. were playing West Virginia, Virginia Tech, Miami, you, you name it. Uh, and so you, we had to be giant killers. You know, we were good, but we had to step up and beat those big name schools week in and week out. And I think somewhere along the way, we had to pull that back some because we started to we started to lose to those schools for whatever reason. Uh, and so you know, I feel like maybe the administration decided, hey, if we want to get back to winning, get back to filling the seats, we got to play lesser schedules. Uh, yeah. and, I, and I think that's turning around now. We have back to back winning seasons, back to back bowl berths. 
Uh, I think that, you know, my, Coach Houston's a great coach, and I think the staff yeah. is is doing a great job. And so I love seeing Michigan on the schedule. I don't love seeing East Carolina be 36-and-a-half-point underdogs uh, in yeah. the early lines. Uh, but, you know, we have a new quarterback and, you know, lost a lot of people in, in, to the draft or to, uh, to the transfer portal. So we have a lot to prove. But I, yeah. I, I want to see us continue to schedule the Michigans of the world, and it's going to take beating those types of schools or, or at least playing really, really well and beating everybody else. Uh, to get that respect that we deserve. And so we'll see if we continue to make schedules like that. But I think I think we're, we're starting to turn things around. I think I think Pirate Nation is excited again after back-to-back bowl bursts. So I, I feel good about it. You know, I'm, I'm doing the radio for all the games. And so I'm seeing a better product on the field here these last couple of years. Yeah, I went to, uh, I think, five games last year. Uh, uh, some people invited me up there, whatever you call those things. I was in a loge and then I was at you know, where the bar and the food is and so forth. But uh, uh, So that was a little different experience for me. And, oh, yeah. Uh, but uh, God, what a what a great facility now. What a great press box. You know, we had the, we had that little trailer up there for so many years. And, uh, you know, what what a change. So uh, I know there are a lot of a lot of people up there really enjoying that. And I guess they're all sold out. I don't really know, but I can see why, you know, because it's a, a great place to, I guess, interact with other pirates and also enjoy the game. So, uh, yeah, our, our, our facilities are coming along, coach. I mean, they're, 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 you know, you can, they're comparable to a lot of other schools. I mean, you know, you're not going to walk on campus at Georgia or LSU and think that, oh, East Carolina is comparable, but no, but the schools in our conference and, and other schools around, they're comparable. The, the one thing we're missing is the, is, the, is the next piece of the puzzle is the indoor facility, right? I, I went on my recruiting visit at NC State 25 years ago now, and, uh, and they had an indoor facility then. And here we are all yeah. these years later and we still don't have one. And so, you know, I spoke to coach Houston recently, you know, they got to raise a little bit more money to make it happen, but the, the design has been drawn. They're ready to break ground. It's going to take a year to build it when it, whenever it's uh, whenever the, the money's raised. And so I, I can't wait for that. Cause that will be huge for recruits as well. Yeah. I mean, uh, I was crying about the indoor facility back in like 1992, I think it was, or 93 when we had, uh, a monsoon every day during camp, like every day, all day, rain. And we ended up in some grade school field or junior high field or something, and it was still nothing but puddles. And that, that really hurt us that year. And then, uh, you know, through the last few years that I coached, uh, you know, if it's on a Tuesday, which is a very important day, and you're out there and you got a lightning, lightning warning, you got to get the whole team off the field sit around, then try to get back out there and resume practice. And that's just really hard to get that tempo back. You know, I mm. mean, it's very difficult challenge. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we, we had, we had that challenge for many years, but, uh, you know, when I was at Carolina, Butch Davis, if there was, it was sprinkling out, we were going indoor, you know, because <laughs> he wanted to make sure everything was right. So, uh, hey, I guess you got different perspectives on that, but uh, that was his perspective. But, yeah, I'm really glad to see that. I recently rejoined the Pirate Club, and I'm uh, going to give a little bit of money to that Pirates Unite. And, uh, you know, I can't do much, but I'll do what I can. I, I, You know, I got two lockers over there I did buy, one in football and one in basketball. So, you know, I always nice. been about supporting the, the program. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, and I would encourage everybody else to do the same. 
so, uh, you know, when we look at all this stuff going on, now we're going to talk a little bit about uh, financial advice. And uh, we talked a lot about that the other night with Jeff Carr, of course. And, you know, he's, he, I'll tell you, man, he's very impressive to me as far as how much he's studied this. And mm -hmm. uh, I'll tell you, he knows it inside out. But, you know, I don't know much about the NIL. <clears throat> I, some of it I, I don't even know if I understand. But when I first heard about it, I said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see the players get paid. But, of course, you know, you got a lot of baggage that comes with that, I guess. Uh, how does it work? Will you just give me the, the basics of the NIL? Absolutely. So, so name, image, and likeness, obviously, is what NIL stands for. And it, it gives companies, uh, you know, boosters the opportunity to essentially sponsor or, or pay money for a player to be able to use their name, their image, or their likeness. So whether that's a company using the player to do a commercial uh, or, or having, you know, a, a booster having an event and having the player come and sign a bunch of autographs or sign memorabilia. And, and I say boosters, obviously they have these collectives that, that come together and put money together. So it's, it's not a one-off thing. So it's, it's, it's very regulated, but you, these people have the ability to pay players to do different things, to use their name, image, and likeness. And so, uh, there's really no uh, no regulation in terms of how much a player can be paid. Um, I've seen I've seen it now where you know a kid will, will commit to a university and they'll know before they go before they step on campus that they're going to get five hundred thousand, a million, two million dollars uh, over their four year period uh, in name, image, and likeness money. And so it's really changed the landscape of college football because you know just this past year. We, you know, we, we lost an offensive lineman in the transfer portal. He left. He was a, a three-year starter, uh, going to come back and start for his fourth year. And he went to Illinois, and Illinois, you know, gave him a bag of money to go there. And, and it, it's, it's hard to tell the kid, you know, hey, you know, don't go, don't leave for a Power 5 school. And, oh, by the way, they're going to pay you a bunch of money to, to do so. And so uh, these schools out there have the ability to, to make it happen. And I was I was on campus over at the uh, University of Texas in Austin and the starting running back there that went in the draft this past year. He was driving around campus in a Lamborghini. The local Lamborghini dealership had given him a car to drive around campus. And so, I mean, how do you how do you keep a kid from from signing to Texas when he knows that he can do something like that? Uh, and so it's it's kind of the wild, wild west right now. With, you know, yeah. the, the schools with the most money, the, with, the, with the best boosters, uh, with the best alumni can get any player they want. And you, you see players leaving really, really good programs. I mean, Alabama has players transferring away, going to other places. And, you know, you, you would never see a kid leave Alabama. And so uh, it's crazy. You know, it, it's going to be hard to compete. It's going to be hard to, uh, to, to stay relevant unless you have a good collective that's putting up the money to take care of these kids. And you, you hate to say that because it's not the NFL. And I do think the kids should get, uh, should get some money in their pocket, but, with no regulation, it's gotten kind of crazy. And the other thing it's done is it's hurt high school kids, right? It used to be, you know, a school would have 25 scholarships, you know, 22 of those would go to high school kids and maybe three to a junior, to junior colleges or something like that. Now, I mean, that's split in half almost. I mean, they're getting 10 or 12 transfer portal kids and maybe another 11 or 12 from high schools. And so you're, you're, you're fighting a battle of, of 
people just leaving schools and going different places. Now, the good thing is you can only transfer and not have to sit out one time. So it's not like kids are leaving every year. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, NIL has really changed the landscape and, and, and players, you're not supposed to know what you can get in the transfer or where you're going to go in the transfer portal or how much money you're going to get before you go. But there's ways around that. And I, and I feel there's no, there's no way you throw your name in the portal without knowing somebody wants you. And so that's what it's, that's what it's heading towards. And it's hard for hard for fans to kind of settle in and get used to a kid being around for three or four years anymore. It used to be the best of the best would go to the NFL, but now the best of the best are transferring to, to greener pastures. And so it's gotten, it's gotten a little bit, a little bit messy. Yeah. I mean, I always, uh, I mean, I just wonder how this whole thing remains ethical and uh, you know, who polices this thing. And then on top of that, uh, you know, how many players uh, feel like, you know, they, they basically deserve more because they see their friend getting X amount or whatever. And then you get this uh, possibly some type of jealousy or, uh, maybe some kind of, uh, you know, bad feelings within the team as a result of these types of things. I mean, I, I don't know. That's just something that kind of crosses my mind. I don't know if it, if it happens. And then of course, you know, uh, the money is going to trump loyalty in most cases, I would think, uh, because, you know, you're going to take care. Yeah. You're going to take care of your family too. I mean, you might come from a family that doesn't have much money at all. That's right. You know, I talked to, you know, where I had Leonard on a podcast and we talked about that, the hurricane, the flood and, uh, you know, his, his car floated away and it was the family car. It was the only car they had. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, I, I can, I can understand it, but, uh, definitely challenging. Yeah. Some aspects I, I can see where it might put pressure on coaches, you know, you know, at Alabama, you know, there was no secret that the, that the quarterback there was making about $2 million in, in NIL money. Well, what if he goes out and has, you know, three or four bad games in a row? Now, he didn't. He ended up being the number one overall draft pick in the, in, the, in the draft of the Panthers. But what if he did? What if he went out and had three or four bad games in a row, threw a bunch of interceptions? Now Nick Saban's saying over there like, well, I, I, I can't bench the kid. He's making $2 million. Everybody wants to see him play. And so you, you, you start to get that pressure on the coaches when guys are making that kind of money. They're making as much as the coaches in some instances. Yeah, I and mean, you wonder, well, you know, he's, uh, hey, coach, you know, I'm, I'm making a couple million. You know, I don't, I don't want to risk injury. I'm not going to do those power cleans today. That's, that's, not, right. that's not on my agenda. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, you might have got arrested. You might have grabbed yeah, it. I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to go up to maybe 250 on squad today. Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't want to, I want to take any chances. So, yeah, I, oh, I can boy. see that a little bit. But, uh, hey, maybe that's, a reason I'm glad that I play more golf than coach right now. So, Hey, what are you going to do? Um, uh, so, you know, I would, yeah, this is going to maybe sound a little bit crazy, but you know, I've, I've, I've seen what you're doing. You know, when I, I came, we came to play ECU and I was down on the field before the game that first time we came back and, uh, and I ran into you on the field and uh, we started to talk and, and I was, actually sick to my stomach i mean i wanted to just throw up i really did because it just felt so strange <laughs> like it was making me sick but uh you know of course like i mentioned the, the other night i think you know we played ecu five times when i was there but came back ecu played carolina five times i felt terrible every game whether we won or lost but uh 
that was that deal. But speaking to you and uh, always thinking that you had a whole lot going on between the years, of course, and it had a real high level of maturity. And then, you know, it did not surprise me that you were on the radio and I, you know, I think you've done a fantastic job and you, you may have been commentating for all 10 of those games that, you know, that I coached in. I don't know. You, you probably, you probably did. I was, I've been on, well, yeah. I've been on, I've been on air since Oh three. So there might've yeah. been one or two before me, but yeah, I've been on air since Oh three. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that first one in up at Carolina, I mean, uh, you know, that was a, a crazy game, but, um, but in any event, uh, I think that you would be uh, a candidate for running for some office. I mean, uh, <laughs> I don't know how you feel about that. But uh, you're very knowledgeable about the economy and and uh, you, you seem to be very perceptive about a lot of things and you speak well. And uh, I think, you know, you have an impressive presence. So, uh, can you tell me a little bit about what your political platform would be, or do you, do you not want to reveal that? Listen, I, I I probably have a lot of things that I'd like to get done, <laughs> but I just would I, I couldn't deal with the other side, right? I because I I, I I I seem to think that some things just make sense, you know, you know, some things uh, in society just just seem like they should make sense, and for you know, for the other side to feel so strongly against that, I think yeah. I would go. I would go insane. But you know, Brian Johnson was was my roommate uh, in college for a few years, and you, you'll remember Brian from from Washington D.C. and 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 he was a linebacker, big old guy. I remember and, Brian very very well. <laughs> and so and so Brian would you know he being from out of town, he didn't know a whole lot of people here. He spent a lot of time you know at my house in Greenville with my parents and. Uh, and he kind of be, you know, be in the car with me. He didn't have a car. So we'd ride around together everywhere and, and he'd see all the people I knew around the city. And so he started calling me the mayor. He said, I was the mayor of Greenville. And so that kind of caught on in the locker room and people would call me mayor since I was one of the few people from Greenville. And so it's funny you say that because I, I, I get that from players from time to time, calling me mayor going way, way back when I, I've never had any aspirations to co to, to be, you know, in politics, but I've, I've definitely heard it a few times. Well, uh, can you just give me your perspective on the defense budget, for instance? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> well, see, here's with me. Like, you know, I grew up in Western PA. Yeah, my both my grandfathers were coal miners. My whole family's nothing but blue collar. I worked in the steel mill growing up on, in the summertime. Wow. My mother was a secretary at the steel mill and she'd get me a job and help my friends get jobs there. And, uh, man, we just worked for hourly wages and uh, all my relatives, both my grandfathers, they started in the coal mine when they were 12 years old. Mm. Uh, you know, my maternal grandfather worked in there 55 years, my paternal 45 years. He was a boss in the mine. But, you know, we all of us were Democrats. Yeah. And uh, we didn't like people that had money. You know, we, we, none of us had money. You know, we, we always had to struggle and work really hard or work two jobs or whatever. And we like, you know, we, we just saw people with, with a whole lot of money. It's like, you know, that's, that's just 
that ain't us, man. We don't even get that. But, you know, and their, their whole agenda is different from ours. But, you know, my perspective has changed some over the years just based on the fact that I support things that are found, have a foundation in the word of God. Hmm. And I'm going to continue to do that. You know, and I don't know which party is going to be, you know, all these different issues. But I'm just going to I'm just going to quit right there, you know, where that's concerned and just say that. That's what I'm going to support is what I feel is in the word. And uh, and, I, you know, and I don't think you can go wrong if if you have that perspective. Uh, but, you know, there's. There's a whole lot of things out there to consider, no question about it. Right. Um, but I do believe that you would make a great politician. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what office it would be, but I'm talking about maybe state senator. I, I don't know. Uh, but I would certainly support you. Well, I don't I, have I much money, that. though, but I... <laughs> <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm looking to raise some money and, and, and go into politics, I'll surely give you a call. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be the guy, but I could certainly speak to uh, your background and uh, those four things that I love. And that's accountability, work ethic, discipline and spirit. You know, you had them all, brother. You had mm -hmm. them all and you still got them all. I appreciate it. Well, that. Uh, you know, I don't know how much time we got left, but let's talk about... Uh, Let's talk about Jeff Charles. Uh, you know, of course, when I came to East Carolina, uh, him and the big guy, they'd come in the weight room every day. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jeff, I think he did bench press six days a week. He loved to do bench press. <laughs> and uh, and then him, a big guy would go run. I don't know what, you know, big guy would run to, big guy could run forever. Right. But, uh, uh, you know, Jeff was always, very much into uh, lifting. He was more upper body, of course. I'd always get on those guys about never doing squats. I, I'd always tell them they both look like Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but can't say enough about Jeff. I mean, uh, I'm happy that I was able to have, you know, get to know him that first 10 years that I was there. And, you know, and he, he really never changed. I mean, he was – so much a part of and so much committed to the program and uh, had so much of a uniqueness in the way that he announced the game. And, and there, there you were right there beside him. So I know that, uh, and, and I'm sure you've been interviewed about this before, but you just say a few words about that. Yeah. Uh, wow. Um, Jeff meant a lot to me. He, he really did. I, you know, I was a uh, you know, 2003 was my first year on the broadcast. So, so Jeff and I just completed our 20th season this past season. Yeah. And um, it was weird kind of the way it happened. I was, I was out of college. Um, you know, I, I kind of did a stint with the Carolina Panthers. That was kind of over with. Um, I was working in finance and the company that I worked for there in Greenville was doing a, a, an, an advertisement during the pregame show. Yeah. And, it, you know, it was called, you know, such and such bank keys to the game. And so my boss at the time reached out to the radio station and said, hey, since we have a former player here uh, working for us, can he actually go on the pregame show and do the keys to the game? 
And so they said, that, that'd be a great idea. And so I, I would go down to whatever restaurant we were at, you know, doing the pregame show. And I started bringing my keys to the game and I would do all this research and I'd have these great keys. And, you know, I sound like I knew what I was talking about. And so they loved it. And they asked me to stay on the pregame show, not to just do the keys, but to do the whole pregame show. And so that was the O2 season. And so um, I really enjoyed it, had a great time, enjoyed the radio. And, you know, I was a business management major. I didn't have any, any, um, you know, experience in radio or television, but I just took to it as a natural. Yeah. Uh, and people kept saying what a great job I was doing. And so right at that time, some things were happening differently uh, with the broadcast and, and Marty Fewer was going to come out, come from off the sideline and go into the booth and be kind of the booth host. And so they needed a sideline guy. And so Jeff reached out to me and said, hey, would you like to do sideline? And I was like, absolutely. To be able to go to all the games and stay close to the team, I would love that. And so that's kind of where it started. And, and Jeff would just say, you know, I'll throw it to you. You just kind of give, you know, a scene setter. Let us know what's going on down on the field. And you can throw it back up to me. Uh, it's not that hard. He would coach me up the night before games to let me know what injuries there might be, uh, what was going on with, on the other team, anything I might need to know. And, and I would just kind of you know research both teams' depth charts so I would know the players in case it was an injury or, or something I need to talk to, to, the, to, the, to the broadcast about. And that first season on the sidelines, it went pretty well. And uh, and Jeff had nothing but great things to say. Did two more seasons on the sideline. And then right about that time, Carlos Crumpler Sr. retired. And uh, he stepped aside. And Jeff asked me to come in the booth and, and be the be the uh, color commentator. And so that was obviously nerve wracking because, I, you know, I had to sit right next to Jeff. And, and he was already a legend at that point. And I just didn't want to step on his toes. I didn't want to talk over him. I didn't want to mess up. And, uh, and so he just kept encouraging me and said, hey, you know, people respect what you have to say. You're a former player. You did a great job playing. Now you're doing a great job on the radio. They want to hear what you have to say. And so he instilled that confidence in me. And, you know, my, I remember my dad used to say, hey, don't get in there messing around with, with Jeff. You let Jeff talk. When it's your turn to talk, you can talk. But don't be in there stepping on Jeff. And so I was always worried about doing that. And I was like, dad, I, I thought this was supposed to be kind of like Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. Like, I'm the... I'm the talent also, so I should be able to talk as much as I want to. He's like, no, 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 no. This is Jeff's show. You just go in and don't, don't screw it up. And so that's kind of how things started off. But, man, he just, you know, we, the night before every game, we'd go have dinner, and he was he just tell me all I need to know. And I just, I just learned so much from him about the business. And the fact that he didn't go to East Carolina was a good thing because he wasn't a homer. And, you know, you he would just yeah. call it like he saw it. So you could listen yeah. to the game. Whether you whether you went to state or whether you went to East Carolina, if they were playing each other, you could enjoy our broadcast because nobody was like, "Oh, what's going on? Oh, what's the coach doing? Oh, you you didn't get that feeling. We just called the game as it was. We said what was going on in the field, and uh, and, and we said it from our heart. And so that was just kind of the way I learned from him. Uh, that's the way we've always done it. And to 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 have you know this happen to him, you know, so abruptly, you know, I, I got the call. You know, obviously, like maybe 30, 45 minutes after it happened. Um, you know, I, he was on a basketball trip, so I wasn't there, but it was just, it was a, a crushing, crushing blow. You know, he was, he was like a father figure to me. Um, just the, just the salt of the earth kind of guy. And, and, and regardless of our age difference, he always treated me as an equal. And I, you know, I, it's going to be different being in the booth with someone else this year. I can promise you that. Yeah. No doubt. Well, when Jeff was going through the, uh, the colon issue that he had, um, you know, he got into this intravenous mistletoe and basically uh, I had a melanoma hmm. and I had surgery. And, uh, you know, he had been out at Durango at Namaste for a couple of weeks. Uh, I think he might have been there for a month. 
so I went out to Namaste after I had my surgery. And of course I was cleared and everything, but I wanted to make sure. So, uh, yeah. I was trying to boost my immune system. So I went out there and did the intravenous mistletoe for about 10 days along with some other stuff. But, you know, he turned me on to that. He was a really big believer in it. And, uh, you know, I always be thankful toward him for that as well, you know, um, as being a, you know, a great friend, um, you know, Jeff was always a great friend to everybody, you know, where, mm-hmm. you know, he, uh, was always very respectful to everybody. So, Absolutely. Uh, so I, you know, I, I definitely wanted to mention him. Uh, I'm just going to get into this briefly. The reason that I started the uh, armored life, uh, .org, my website, uh, absolute empowerment, uh, uh, you know, these guys asked me if I wanted to do uh, a podcast, and I said I'd do it if I could talk about Jesus Christ and if I could mm-hmm. kind of uh, get my mission across. And so, you know, I'm going to talk about this. I, I guess I'm going to be on Pirate Radio with Marcus tomorrow, which would be the first time in about four or five years I've been on there. But, you know, two things first. The two guys that I, that I coached that were slaughtered, uh, one one – Young man from Carolina, of course, shot in the chest three times when he went home. Another young man from ECU shot in some parking lot in Raleigh 12 or 15 times. And then over 100 guys that I coached uh, that went by the wayside for repeatedly testing positive for drugs. Uh, Then when you look at the the guys that were coming, 25 guys come in, recruited, and by the time they're seniors, there's maybe five or six guys left somehow. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just started thinking to myself that, you know, instead of going down to the beach and going fishing, playing golf every day or something, I was like, is there there's anything I can do maybe to uh, contribute to saving a few people? Hmm. I don't know. But I do know this. If you develop a, a strong spiritual commitment and you get in that word and you get the right people around you and the right influences that you're going to live better and you're going to make better decisions and you're going to make better choices. Uh, and those choices are going to possibly save your career, possibly save you from a bad decision. Um, and I think that the earlier we get with younger people with that, with those types of things, the better. And I think there's a real need for it still, even though in programs now you have, you know, like uh, Chuck Young, of course, mm-hmm. the, you have a pastor. Uh, you've got people who chase these guys around to make sure they're going to class and so forth. But at the same time, I just don't think they can hear it enough. That's right. And uh, I'm going to do whatever I can. I really don't know where this is going, <laughs> but I'm just going to keep having podcasts and try to try to bring some young folks to the podcast because we've had some unbelievable people on the podcast now. Mm. And I, I just let God lead me every week to, you know, who's next. You know, we had Stephen Brady on and Stephen was fighting colon cancer. Uh, you know, he's, we, we brought him on and pastor Gene who comes on, he prayed for Stephen and uh, uh, Addison Bass, another former pirate from way back heard the podcast and came on the next week and wanted to rededicate his life to Christ right on the podcast. Wow. So these are the type of things we want to do. And, uh, you know, when I look at Pernell Griffin and Brian Moss and Leonard Henry, those guys are incredible. 
I mean, when you, when I talk to those guys, I learn something every time I talk to them. And, I, you know, they're like directly connected to God. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm very thankful to have coached those guys. And now they're very influential pastors in the world. Uh, so uh, I'm excited about it. Uh, I get so excited when I see guys like that doing so well and doing something so meaningful in the world. I'm excited about Kevin Monroe and what he's doing in the world. Can't wait to vote for you when you <laughs> run for that House of Representatives. So, all right, give me give me a quick rundown on your kids, man. Let's hear it. So yeah, I've got two boys. Uh, my oldest is uh, 16. He's a he's a he'll be a rising junior. Uh, we live in in kind of the Cary Apex area here in North Carolina, and so he goes to Green Level High School. His school's about five or six years old, so. Uh, they they've struggled as a program as a football program. I think they've they've won two games the last three seasons in a row, and the, so the, the coach resigned, and so now they're under a new regime. And uh, he's excited about this season. He plays receiver. He's a good player, got good hands, um, and so we're looking forward to a good a good year from him. He also plays baseball, good baseball player. Uh, and then I have my youngest. My youngest is twelve. He's a, he'll be a rising seventh graders in middle school. Uh, and he, you know, he's, it's the same deal, football, basketball, baseball. He loves football, wants to play college football one day. Uh, it, they're both, they're both growing like weeds. My, you know, my oldest, he entered high school at about five foot six in ninth grade. And now he finished his 10th grade year. He's about six, two and a half. Uh, so about seven inches of growth over the last two years, he's just gangly and long and trying to grow into that body. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I'm leaning on you coach to help, to help train him up, get, get him ready to go. Because uh, he, he's, like he, he's like a newborn colt. <laughs> That's exactly right. When yeah. when when uh, when Coach Houston saw him at camp last year, he called him a baby deer. That's about what he is. <laughs> he's trying right. to trying to figure that body out. So, uh, yeah, the both of them. I'm, matter of fact, I'm at I'm at, I'm at a, a football workout right now for my youngest. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we they 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 love sports. They're doing well in school. I, I appreciate you asking about them. Well, you and I talked, and uh, like I said, I'm up in Cary about three or four days a week. I've got a little deal up there that I do, and. Uh, we're going to get together and uh, hopefully I can contribute a little bit and I'm really happy to do it. Uh, so uh, I'll be fired up about that. Absolutely. He, he needs to learn from the person that taught me. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, I certainly appreciate you being on the show and uh, I'm looking forward to sitting down with Marcus tomorrow, getting into that a little bit. And I'm very proud of him as well. And, you know, uh, basically his commitment to Jesus Christ mm -hmm. and uh, and the way that he is attempting to influence a lot of people. And, uh, you know, he had his own podcast for a while. He bounced around doing a lot of different things. I know he's coaching at Livingstone, but uh, uh, now he's helping out with Pirate Radio, which is great. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and sign out. Go ahead. Do you have something else you wanted to say? No, I just, you know, we, we spoke a little bit about my wife when she was, you know, in high school. Yeah. And obviously we've been we've been married now uh, 20, 22 years. And yeah. uh, she, she's she's my rock. And she, you know, she's, you know, do uh, a physician over at Wake Med Hospital here locally. And, and you know, she has been kind of the, the pushed me to be the spiritual leader of our family. So she's made me a better Christian. She lost both of her parents in a span of a couple of years when they were in their 60s. Uh, and so, you know, life just turns, makes so many different turns. And so to have that spiritual background, to, to know that God's got your back 
it's the only thing that carries you through. So I, I'm so glad that to, for you to have this platform for us to come on and, and openly talk about God and openly talk about how he's affected our lives. My brother just got baptized just a few years ago in his forties. Uh, so, he, you know, he's still working, he's still working on everybody's life. And I just, I, I just, I really have, I really like the opportunity to come on and talk about it. And I appreciate you, you having me on. Yes, sir. All right. We're going to go ahead and sign off. This is Jeff Connors. Uh, Signing off for Absolute Empowerment. God bless, and we'll see you next week with another excellent guest. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Absolute Empowerment with Coach Jeff Connors on The Sports Objective. Join us every Monday night for a new edition of the show. Listen to the show pretty much everywhere podcasts are found. Be sure to follow us on social media at The Sports OBJ on Twitter and TikTok, at The Sports Objective on Instagram. Like and follow our Facebook page and subscribe to our YouTube channel. As always, we appreciate you listening to the show. And go Pirates!